1: Age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. As we close out the month of June, which is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month, today's episode features Judy Cornish, an author and founder of the Dementia and Alzheimer's Wellbeing Network, or DAWN. Several years ago, Judy, a retired elder law attorney, had planned to lead a quiet life in a small Idaho town. Instead, through a chance encounter with a neighbor, she became deeply involved in the world of dementia care, and over the years has created an unusual approach which she calls the Dawn method. While last week's episode focused on Alzheimer's research, including a newly approved drug treatment that could slow the progress of the disease, this week's conversation with Judy offers a patient-centered approach to caring for people with dementia. This approach looks at how people experience the disease, particularly how they respond to the loss of skills such as memory, language, judgment, and perception, and how this response affects their emotions and subsequent behaviors. Now, there's no question that Alzheimer's is a devastating disease, and the Dodd method acknowledges the impact of these losses, but also lifts up the skills that are not lost. Skills like intuitive thinking and mindlessness are automatic mental tools like muscle memory that can extend a person's ability to function. Judy, who has written two books, The Dementia Handbook and and Dementia with Dignity, will explain how emphasizing the strengths of these remaining skills can help shape how people react to the difficult circumstances they experience with the disease and enhance the opportunities for companionship. In the process, we may discover, even celebrate some unexpected gifts amid the daily challenges of dementia, appreciating the ability to be fully present in the now, enjoying life's beauty together while ensuring a sense of safety, security, and dignity for our loved ones. Ultimately, Judy's goal is to see dignified dementia care and aging in place become available for all. So now let's meet Judy Cornish. Welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Ron. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Glad to have you here. So Judy, I, so in the introduction I mentioned just a little bit about your background, but it's a fascinating story. I really I really yeah. enjoyed hearing about it. And since this is 45 forward, you know, I want to give people a little bit more about your life and, and how you got into your current career unanticipated, but, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, you, you plan for the, these later years and sometimes you go into them, uh, and things happen by accident or circumstance, but then you take right. advantage of it and realize That's you new right. direction. So give a little bit more about, you know, some details about how you uh, ended up with the Dawn method.
2: Well, you, well, Ron, this is something I never talked about really. I always just talk about Dawn, but, um, you know, looking back, my, my, Career goals, and, and I know this is out of fashion now, but my goal was to be married and raise children, mm-hmm. and garden, and you know, can veg grow vegetables and f- canned fruit, and live a quiet, peaceful life raising children in All a small town, <laughs> in a rural goes. area. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, and and yet, what really what happened? Um, I hadn't uh, I hadn't gone to university before I married before i had children and um, life being what it is i ended up in my mid30s leaving my marriage oh. and now i you know and that was when i went to college and so if i was on my 40th birthday i was graduating with an undergraduate degree hmm. in English and a minor in German wow. so i had a goal it, i was a little bit of a late bloomer in in the world of careers. But my goal was to teach at a community college and teach literature and English writing
3: hmm.
2: and, and to teach German as, as a language. And so I had it all figured out. Well, of course, you know, life happens. Right. And I wasn't able to um, use the scholarship that I'd been awarded to go to earn an M.A. Teasel in teaching language. Teaching English as the second language. And uh, life being what it was, all of a sudden, uh, I had about three weeks notice that I was going to lose this this fantastic scholarship. Uh, and uh, so I had very quickly look around and see what, what kind of a master's program could I get into within two weeks. Wow. <laughs> and what I found was that uh, there were five options in Portland, Oregon, one of which would have been Lewis and Clark Law School, which is a pretty highly rated law school, a much sought after law school. And so um, I remember I called them on a Thursday morning at about 11.20, and I said, um, gee, I have an undergraduate degree in English and German, and this is my, my uh, GPA, and, and then I took all the graduate school exams, my LSAT score, this was my LSAT score, would, if I apply, would you accept me? And they said, um, have you ever committed a felony? <laughs> and I said, well, what's a felony? <laughs> and, and, and she said, yeah, we'll accept you. And, uh, but you have to apply today. And decision will be made at the meeting this afternoon that starts at 3.30. So in the space of a couple of hours, I put together an application. And all of a sudden that evening, 5 o'clock, got a call, discovered I was about to start law school. So I said, well, when do classes start? And it was two weeks later. Mm. So you know, I, yes, I'm an attorney, and um, my law degree was an excellent education. Mm-hmm. And I I ended up when I left law school, I clerked at the Oregon uh, Tax Court uh, because I'd kind of focused on tax law while I was in law school. That, mm-hmm. um, it you know, it you just I, I'd never really intended. To study law or to be a lawyer, but I couldn't walk away from this scholarship. Mm-hmm. And in the end, um, I spent a—you know—I stayed at the courts for a couple of years, and uh, then I went to a divorce firm, and then I went to—you know—I was just not happy. And and I went to elder law,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and practiced with a um, with a friend, and it was trying to find something that I could do that satisfied my desire to help the community Mm -hmm,
3: mm -hmm.
2: is is what really began my road um to working with dementia but you know it broke my heart to work in the law because when people came to me when they arrived and sat down in my office the problems were terrible they you know they'd they'd gotten to the point of litigation or divorce or um you know being uh, having trouble with the irs i wanted to help people before the problems became so terrible And so when I arrived, I I went looking. I decided, no, I need to follow my heart. I need to to leave the city. I need to go look for that rural place where I Mm -hmm. could garden and live a simpler life. And I arrived, finally found, it took me several years, but I found Moscow, Idaho. And I was determined to do work that made my heart sing. And so I I wasn't really planning to be retired, I thought that I could practice elder law part-time uh-huh. and and that that would be my country contribution
3: mm-hmm. to
2: the community and life happens. And I got to know the, the women across the street and my work, everything, you know, I think within two weeks there, the phone kept ringing and people would say, Oh, I hear you're working with so-and-so's mom. Could you help us? Dad still lives in Moscow. He lives alone and he's having a few memory problems. And within a couple of months, I realized I had started a business of looking after people who were living at home and experiencing dementia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was where dawn began. But, you know, if when you start to follow your heart, then you begin to do the job you're well equipped for. Right. Right. And that's that's when we do the job that nobody else can do. Nobody but us.
1: And,
2: And to me, so 45 forward. Definitely. I was I was 50 when
3: mm-hmm.
2: I met mm-hmm. uh, and began working
1: with the first person who d- was experiencing dementia right See I was right the dawning of dawn is a great story
2: yes. <laughs> it is <laughs> right
1: right So listen why don't we I, I know we have only an hour so why don't we just transition and look at yeah. um, your particular approach uh, to sort of explain I, I just you know mentioned briefly it's sort of an experiential model but tell us a little bit more about what that means in, in terms of you know your your methodology.
2: Well, you know, it, it, I, I have taken a very different perspective, mm-hmm. which I should. We should expect me to have done that because I'm not trained in medicine. Right. I'm, I'm not a nurse or a doctor. I'm not even a social worker. Mm-hmm. What I'm trained in is language and law. Okay. And so when I began spending time with my neighbors, my new neighbors there in Moscow, Mm-hmm. My my, at first I was just afraid I was going to hurt somebody. That through ignorance, through not knowing medicine or not being well trained in how to be a caregiver, or how to work with people who are experiencing dementia or Alzheimer's, I I had no training, and so I was just so concerned it might hurt somebody.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I wanted to help, and I wanted to preserve their dignity. And mm-hmm. I, wanted, I wanted them to be able to continue to live good lives, lives filled with companionship and beauty and fun things and activities they liked. I wanted them to be able to live life even though they had a diagnosis. And that being my, my goal, my purpose,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I began to notice um, that what I had to do because I didn't have a medical background, was I had to think about how they were functioning and, mm. and what was I couldn't tell what was happening at first, right? But but I could see that the way they were reacting, they were very, think little things were really upsetting, and I you know and I would be I would embarrass them without without planning or meaning to at all. I could see mm-hmm. I'd hurt somebody's feelings or I, I could see that I'd really angered them or frustrated them. And so I just kept thinking um, because I have a language background, I kept thinking, you know, we, the, the human brain, our brains are logical. When our brain makes an error, when somebody's learning a language and they make an error, it's a logical error. There's always a reason. Mm-hmm. And and when we learn and, are, and we make errors in life, our errors are logical. They're not irrational. And so that was the first thing I believed when I started spending time with my neighbors, people losing their memory skills. And I could see other things going on, but I wasn't sure what it was. That was my first assumption.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They are not becoming crazy. And honestly, I right from the start, I couldn't see that anybody was becoming irrational Mm -hmm. I could only see that people were upset and that they were trying to do things that they'd always done and then then weren't able to do it. The second thing I realized came from my study of the law. And that was that my my assumption was Mm -hmm. if I don't understand what's going on and I'm not the person with the diagnosis here, I'm the person who has is supposed to be fully healthy and functional. Mm -hmm. I don't understand what I'm seeing. That means I need to step back and look at the picture from a bigger perspective. Because with the law, whenever somebody comes in and sits down across from from you at your desk and they start telling you their story, the facts don't make sense at first. And you have to keep asking for more information. And when, when a group of facts don't make sense to us, We need to get more information. We need to step back and look at the bigger picture. So based on those two assumptions, that's what I did. And then the third thing I could see happening was I knew I'd run into this before. I could see that my new friends were really bothered, upset Mm -hmm. by not being able to do things. And I knew I'd run into it before. And it finally dawned on me. It took me like five or six months. And I finally realized that... When I went from my English degree, my my plans to study language, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've studied music, I've studied art, all of these uh, more intuitive um, areas of study. From that, I went to law very abruptly. Mm -hmm. And it was a very rude shock. And what happened was when I arrived in law school, I was no longer able to use my intuitive thinking skills They didn't count. Nobody cared what my opinion was or what my judgment was, what I thought might be the case. Nothing mattered except for rational thinking and facts. And so I found myself suddenly stripped of the ability to use a cognitive tool when I was very comfortable using. And I realized that year with with my new friends, my new neighbors, that they were suddenly unable to use a cognitive skill that they were very used to using. Mm-hmm. And they felt the same way I did. They were embarrassed and they were frustrated and they were thrown off kilter and and life was suddenly inexplicably harder and it was distressing. Right. And so that was what happened that first year, knowing so little about dementia from the medical perspective, but knowing the law and knowing language and knowing what our cognitive skills are and how we you know how we use these various cognitive skills to me when i saw somebody who was experiencing dementia it was really clear that they were losing rational thinking skills very important tools for getting for for succeeding in a technological society right. sure but they were not losing the intuitive skills the intuitive thinking skills
1: right,
2: right. and and to me that once I understood that, then we started to get along better mm-hmm. because I realized that both of us would be able to use our intuitive thinking skills and I could take care of all the rational thinking and memory um, whenever that was necessary. I'd just take care of that for them. Mm-hmm. And then I'd lead them to enjoy living. Enjoying life using intuitive thinking skills, and of course, now,
1: should you explain that a little bit more. Explain what you're talking about when you talk about uh, intuitive um, thinking skills.
2: Okay, so so we as human beings, all of us, we have two complete sets of thinking skills, and and I know that's normal, not normally thought of um, the way we do it, it here in, in in America. But rational thinking skills are a set, and they're a set of tools, and they're secondary. And then our intuitive thinking skills, those are primary. They're not tools, they're essential. And and it is with our intuitive thinking skills that we gather information through our senses, and it's unfiltered, and we receive all of it. Everything we can see and hear and taste and touch and smell. And then it's our rational thinking skills that that received some of that information filtered through the corpus callosum. And then it's, it, we make sense out of that sensory, unfiltered data using rational skills. So, you know, there, this, this is one of the most important things to understand when you spend time with somebody who's experiencing dementia.
1: Right, right.
2: It's, it's that they will be, and they are, they're going to continue using their intuitive thinking skills.
1: Right, right. So this is what we were talking about about just sort of recognizing the losses, not not diminishing them, but also recognizing there are things that are retained and working yes. with the strengths they have. Strengths. You know. yeah. uh, a friend of mine, you know, um had sort of a you know an interesting way to synopsize some of the issues and she said, you know, when 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 you see someone, a patient with dementia, you know, and you think they're giving you a hard time, yeah, well, they're having a hard time. Right. And I right. think that's the recognizing, so recognizing what they're going through. That's
2: right. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, um, now let's look at, uh, I'm thinking about, um, we have a lot to cover here. So
2: uh, <laughs> yeah, we do. we're
1: going to, we're going to sort of preface where we're going to go for this, but then we're going to, we're going to take a break in, in shortly. So, um, uh, we'll get started with, um, uh, just sort of elaborating a little bit, um, uh, about the um, the loss of functions, you know, their language and memory skills, their, you know, our judgment and perception. Um, so we're gonna, you know, when we get back to from the break, we're gonna we're gonna dive a little bit more into these. But for the moment, we're gonna just take a quick break, Judy. And uh, okay. so, folks, uh, when we come back, we'll be talking much more with Judy Cornish about her dawn approach to dementia care. But there's much more to come, so don't go anywhere. <music>
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: A heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinvold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere.
4: Want to play the ponies and win? <laughs>
0: You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward.
1: Welcome back folks to 45 Forward, where we're talking today with Judy Cornish, the author of the Dementia Handbook and Dementia with Dignity. Now, before we continue our conversation with Judy, I just wanted to mention that you can find out more about her by going to her, her website, thedawnmethod.com, that's one word, thedawnmethod.com, where you can learn about her online training programs for families and professional caregivers. And if you know friends or family who, who will have missed today's show, you can go to my website as well, rowellresources.com, click on 45 Forward, and listen to this show as a podcast. You can also hear last week's show about the Alzheimer's research uh, uh, discussion, including uh, uh, news about the new Alzheimer's drug, aducanumab. Um, so that's also available by going to my website, as well as um, the Voice America site. So, Judy, now we're talking a little bit about um, intuitive skills, and what is retained and what is lost. So let's talk a little bit about what, what, are, what is retained uh, in terms of intuitive thinking uh, and what you also refer to as losing the remembering self, but retaining the experiential self.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think this is so important because too often we think about dementia as being simply the loss of memories. That's not what it is. It's much greater than that. We actually lose skills in three areas. One, we lose one set of thinking skills, those rational thinking skills. And we do lose memories, but we lose memory skills. And then we also experience changes to our attention skills that if you know so if we're first just talking about this loss of rational thinking it's so important to understand that sometimes somebody's memory skills don't go first sometimes it's their ability to exercise rational thinking that goes first and so you'll have somebody who's just making terrible decisions and constantly putting themselves at risk and it's because those skills are going their ability to use good judgment, to compare, to contrast, uh, to analyze, to perceive what happens. If I do this, that is going to happen. And and so when I'm teaching families or when I'm speaking, I often describe the three most frustrating losses
3: mm-hmm. for
2: those of us who spend time with people who are experiencing dementia.
3: Right.
2: I, I think the most frustrating thing to begin with is the loss of the ability to see cause and effect.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, we never think about that because we begin to exercise cause and effect. We have the use of that rational thinking tool from birth. As soon as the infant is born and it cries and all of a sudden there's mom smiling, meeting every need, that's cause and effect. Starting to go into the child begins using that skill. Right. But You know, so what it means is when we lose it, we don't even anticipate that anybody could lose that skill. That, you know, the the best, this, actually, this was the way I learned. This is the way it occurred to me the first time. The first time I saw what was happening, I'd gone over to a client's. It was the middle of winter in northern Idaho Mm -hmm. and blowing snow sideways. The drapes are open. You can see the blizzard outside. We're standing in her living room. It's about 70 in the house. And I say to her, Mary, okay, we better go get groceries. You'll need to grab your winter coat because, my goodness, it's a cold day out there. And she looked at me, and and she was beginning to lose some of her, her vocabulary and her language skills. And she looked at me, and she didn't look angry or anything, but she just said no. She just refused. Now, this is a really sweet, lovely person, but I don't know anything about about dementia. I just know this is a lovely person. I didn't assume that she was having a personality change and and becoming difficult. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, what's happening here? So then I thought, oh, okay, I'll explain. I said, but Mary, look out the window. Look out there. And I point, and she her head turns. She follows the direction I'm pointing. She looks out the window, and I said, see, it's snowing. It's cold out there. Both of us are going to be really cold. We need our winter coats. so you grab yours. I'll help you put it on. She looks at the snow another second, and she turns to me, and she says, no. And I realized she's warm now. She's not cold. She's not going to put on a coat because she's not cold. She's lost the ability to anticipate that when she does go outside, she will become cold. And so I said, oh, well, don't worry. I'm wearing my coat. Do you mind if I take yours? You know me. I'm always cold. And she said, oh, no, honey, go right ahead. And we walk out the door. I'm carrying her coat. Get outside. Three seconds later. You know, the three second perception of our psychological sense of now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: She's out there three seconds and she stops with her hand on the top railing and she looks at me and she says, I'm cold. And I say, oh, Mary, here's your coat. And, she, and I help her put it on and we get in the car, we go for groceries. All is well. Nobody gets upset. Nobody's frustrated. Nobody's embarrassed. No problem. And it was because that day I came to realize that if I'm losing my rational thinking skills, one of the skills I'm going to lose is the ability to anticipate the future, to understand that I might be warm inside the house, but as soon as I walk out the door, I'll be cold. And people lose that skill. We don't become difficult. We don't want to give you a hard time. Mm-hmm. We just lose that skill. Right. Right. Really important to understand that because otherwise you feel like like your loved one who's experiencing dementia is just trying to make your life miserable. <laughs> right, right. Right. It's not that. Yeah. It's a lost skill. Right. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. So talk a little bit about your distinction about, you know, this is sort of interesting. You've mentioned me, the mindfulness versus mindlessness, which, you know. Yeah. That's it's an unusual way to put it, but I think it, it describes it. To, to describe what that means.
2: You know, and I, I stole the terms from Ellen Langer. Uh-huh. Ellen Langer. She was the first woman hired in the psychology department as a professor at Harvard. Okay. And now Harvard has a worldwide research program. They have the Langer Institute of Mindfulness. And Ellen Ellen wrote a book called Mindfulness and published it back in the 80s. We call her the Mother of Mindfulness okay. in that little book. She it's a fabulous book. But she talks about mindfulness, and she talks about mindlessness. And being mindful is the ability to exercise your attention skills. And we have five different types of attention skills. And when we begin to experience dementia, what I saw my clients doing is losing three of them. Mm -hmm. They were unable to redirect their attention. Mm-hmm. to choose to turn their attention away from something they were they were unable to direct their attention that means to go from being um, lost in thought and suddenly choose to pay attention to something specific and they were unable to maintain their attention they couldn't choose to stay focused on a task until it was completed right but, so when you think about being mindful what you're really thinking about is being able to exercise attention, to choose where you put your attention and to choose to keep it there, to choose to move it away. Now, that's something we lose when we begin to experience dementia. We, we become unable to manage our own attention. And that means that even though we're losing our, our memory skills and losing the ability to drift into the past or recall the past, to draw information from the past. And even though we're losing rational thinking skills, which means we become unable to anticipate the future, to plan for the future, to initiate activities that we want to do, begin doing, we still cannot be mindful even though we are stuck in the present and and being unable to leave the present. Mm -hmm. to have the skills to think about the past or think about the future. You know, we we study mindfulness and meditation because we want those of us who have got all of our cognitive skills, we want to more fully experience the present, Mm -hmm. be Mm -hmm. more mindful. Your loved one who's experiencing dementia is right there doing it, but they can't choose to leave. Now, if I don't have my memory skills if I'm losing attention skills, if I'm losing my rational thinking skills, I need to be able to use whatever skills I do still have. I need to be able to make use of my strengths. This is the core of my teaching. But there there are two tools. And they're tools with regard to mindfulness and attention that every one of us, human beings, every one of us uses every day. Mm-hmm. Two tools are automatic thinking scripts and muscle memory. Right. All of us use them. You know, if you think about when you wake up in the morning and you open your eyes, you don't have to think about which side of the bed you're sleeping on. You just roll out of bed. Right. Right? Right. That's muscle memory. <laughs> uh, you wake up in the middle of the night, you go to use the bathroom in your own home. You don't have to consciously think your way all the way from bed to bathroom and back again. Not necessary. You can practically do it in your sleep muscle memory. When you go to use the washing machine, load the dishwasher, unload the dishwasher, to use all these various um, tools or go through these activities and do tasks in our own homes where we've done it countless times before. We can do it without thinking because we've got automatic thinking scripts and muscle memory that we built up over the, over the years in our familiar home. Right. Every one of us benefits from it. If you think about it, if we had no automatic thinking scripts and no muscle memory, we'd be exhausted by breakfast time.
1: Right. right.
2: That's what happens to your individual who's experiencing dementia. In if we move them and put them in a brand new place.
1: Right. Right.
2: We think we're helping. We think, oh, mom will be safer in assisted living or dad will do better if I go into the house and clean it up and organize it and put everything in a logical place instead of random the way it's been for the last 50 years since I grew up. And so we go in and we change everything or we, or we step into our parents' lives and we say, we're going to make you safer. We're going to move you someplace else where you've got more services available. But when we do that, we take away the person's ability to use those two skills that they've been benefiting from. And, and if I lose my muscle memory and if I lose my automatic thinking scripts and I have to do every task, mm-hmm. I have to think about it, and I have to um, do it consciously, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, we we benefit daily from not having to think our way through every task. Right. But, right. but when you take somebody who's been functioning at home and you move them, right. that's, then we take away those skills. Right. And that's why you'll see so many people right after a move, you know, you get, you think you're helping and you help your loved one get moved into assisted living. And, and within about six or eight weeks, they're not doing very well. They're really confused, and they're failing, and they keep getting lost, and and they're upset, and they're they're not having good interactions, and pretty soon it's time to move them again, and they need to be moved into another uh, memory care unit with more support.
1: Now, in in those circumstances where you know for whatever reason you feel they they have to be you know moved out of their home, for, you know may not be safe for a number of things. Are there things you can do to make their environment more familiar to them and help them definitely oh yes
2: yeah i've actually written i think there's five blogs on my website giving advice on how to move somebody and to help them succeed but you know one of the first things you can do is if somebody needs to be moved then take a photograph it and as much as you possibly can you want to recreate the old home in the new place Right. With the doors in the same location in relation to the bed, the couch, the kitchen table, so you take a photograph of, say, um, you know, like the living room. Mm-hmm. Take a picture of, of the the furniture, the the pictures, everything right down to the knickknacks on on a bookshelf. And then when you move into the new place, try to recreate the exact same visual wall of mm-hmm. objects. Mm-hmm. And and if the if the bathroom was on the left side of the bed at home, try to set the bed in the new location so that when you get out of bed, you sleep on the same side of the bed and you get out to go the same direction to the bathroom. Right. Um, you know, if if it's a, an apartment with a hallway and down the hallway, there's the dining room and all the services and the nurse's station. hmm Try to organize the living room so that when a person is sitting in the living room, looking at the TV, sitting in the favorite chair, sitting on the couch, that the door that exits from the home is in the same location from the couch or from their favorite chair. Right,
3: right.
2: You can really help a person. And then that way, those you know muscle memory and the automatic thinking scripts are somewhat less, uh, there's a better chance that they'll be able to build them. Right. So that's, that's my first advice.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Secondly, and this goes against what, what most facilities will tell you, but if you're going to move me to a new home, then I'm going to learn during the first few weeks because, because part of our intuitive thinking skills is learning through experience. That stays. So when you move me, I'm going to spend the first few weeks learning either that I have been moved and forgotten or I have been moved and left, or I'll learn I have been moved, but my family are still here and they still love me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when those first few weeks, those are critical. And we really, as family, if if you want your loved one to feel secure enough to settle into this new living situation and make friends. They really need us there. They need us there for the first three weeks, um, all our waking hours, if at all possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just be a companion and be, um, you know, a guide, just, you know, a companion that's there Doing each of the activities, doing it together and help and that way you can lead them through through routine so that they begin to learn new muscle memory and new automatic thinking scripts
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: to get them to the library, to get them to the activities, to the to the exercise room, to the swimming pool. Right. Um, down to lunch to the very same table with those three or four other people that, that they get along with well.
1: Right, right. So they're in a uh, you know, in a new place that in some ways, is physically safer, but you need the emotionally and mentally safer as well, you know, and right. that's where the family comes in. Yeah. You mentioned, too, that so now talking about the emotions, you know, that, um, you know, when they lose these skills, you talk about an emotional reaction that that then triggers certain behaviors. Explain yeah. that a bit as well.
2: You know, I I always think about, because you hear from a medical perspective, you hear about dementia having symptoms, Mm -hmm. and the symptoms are behaviors, and we call it, we've got a a label for everything, so we call it dementia-related behaviors. Mm -hmm. Those are our symptoms of dementia. And then there's a whole list of them. Exit-seeking, restlessness, wandering, sundowning, combative behaviors. Um, I'm sure I'm I'm missing quite Mm -hmm. a few of them, but there they are. Well, wait a minute. I raised children. Anybody who's raised children knows that human beings who have not been diagnosed with dementia—kids, adults, grown-ups—we all have those behaviors. You know, we we all. My kids always got cranky in the late afternoon because. Mm-hmm. 'Cause they were kids, because they were human beings, and because all the activities of the day and and blood sugar is dropping as dinner time is approaching, but there's been all kinds of activity, they haven't had a nap, you know, we we just get a little bit less settled right. as the day goes on. And our cognitive resources, our emotional resources, get used up as the day goes on. And so, you know, I when I think of these so called medical symptoms. I think no, they're not. This is what this is how humans act out when they are stressed. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at dementia, from the perspective of the loss of cognitive skills, which this what dementia does is it takes away skills we've been using our entire life. And when we find ourselves suddenly unable to do something, Suddenly unable to recall the name of somebody we know, we know very, very well. Suddenly unable to make coffee in our own coffee pot in our own kitchen. Suddenly unable to remember the way back home from church. That's scary. And we have emotional reactions. And it's got nothing to do with disease. It's got everything to do with how we as human beings respond to stress.
1: So let's hold that thought. We're going to hold that thought. We're going to take another quick break, um, but uh, we'll, we'll pick up just where you left off uh, okay. right after the break. So, folks, don't go away. You won't want to miss this last segment. Uh, we'll be back uh, very shortly.
0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
4: Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety.
0: You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back,
1: folks. We're in our last segment with Judy Cornish. Uh, fascinating discussion about the experience of dementia. Before the break, we were talking about the emotional components of, um, of the the process of uh, dementia care. So let's continue, Judy, with, with a couple of uh, a couple of aspects of that about how the emotions are affected.
2: You know, so I'm always talking about other. Famous people that I turn to like Ellen Langer, Ian McGilchrist, uh, Daniel Kahneman. But, you know, when you think about our human emotional needs, you have to begin. You have to begin with Abraham Maslow. He remember back in the 1940s and he wrote about the human need hierarchy. And and since then, we've, we've thrown out that pyramid. You know, no, it's not possible to completely meet your security needs and then just keep going on until you meet your self-actualization needs. It's right. a feedback loop. Right. And so that's what my model is for the Dawn Method. It's a flower. And the center of the flower is the most critical emotional need there is when we experience dementia, and that's mood management. Mm-hmm. It's a security need because right. dementia takes away rational thinking skills and memory skills. And that's how human beings manage their own moods. Without it, we we can't. And so mood management is the most critical of all security needs when I'm experiencing dementia. Got it. And, then, and then the other part of the center of the dawn flower is the need to feel secure even though we are confused. And we will always be confused and we will be ever more confused. And then, and also the need to feel secure, even though we become less able to take care of ourselves, we are ever more in need of care. And so security, that's the critical need when Mm -hmm. I'm experiencing dementia. I need to learn that it's okay to be confused and I need to learn that it's okay to need somebody else help to help me. And I really need my companions to manage mood when they're with me. Because I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am prey to whatever moods they bring to me. And and so the center of everything we do at Dawn is we try to help families and caregivers understand how to help somebody learn they're safe in those areas. Right. right. And, you know, part of the reason this is so important is because people don't lose those intuitive thinking skills, and they continue to pick up. They see, they see your expression, they see your body language, they see your gestures, and that's in, that's nonverbal communication. And right. even though we lose our rational thinking skills, we lose our vocabulary. We even lose our most primary verbal languages. We we you know we'll lose our secondary languages and then go back to the. Our the language of our childhood, but even that goes. Right. But the thing that never, never leaves us—that we use right up until the last breath we draw, with even with dementia—is this ability to read the moods and the feelings of our companions.
3: Uh-huh.
2: We're always reading. The other are companion's expressions, and so that's why it's so important to manage your mood when you spend time with someone who's experiencing dementia.
3: Right.
2: You can't come into their presence looking worried without causing that person to immediately feel worried.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and, right. and if you if you come into my presence looking guilty, you know that you know maybe 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 your mom is experiencing dementia, and you love her dearly, and you so wish you could spend more time with her. So when you walk into the room to spend time with her, you're wearing guilt. Well, if you're wearing guilt, she's going to assume the guilt, and you're going to get a reaction. Mm-hmm. Either she feels guilty, like oh, what, what I do, what I do, or maybe her personality is more. You know, she'll be um, she'll she'll be irritated. What I do now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, so it depends on our personalities, of course, how we react to other people's emotions, but. Right. If we're if we've lost those rational thinking and memory skills and we still have our intuitive thinking skills and we're fully present in in the moment experiencing the present well then we are we are definitely reacting to the moods and and what we see in other people's nonverbal communication
1: right right yeah one of you, one of the things you mentioned just is this whole issue of that feeling of, of safety and security I think' it's just so critical yeah. you know and, and uh, um, I remember several years ago, I was involved in workshops about, you know, how to uh, deal with organizations that were in disarray. And uh, one of the things that they talked about is how do you build a community of trust again? And, you know, they said, well, how do you define trust? Well, the first component is the feeling of safety. And I think that's so critical that I think you've said uh, you have to, you know, teach them that you are making, you are, they are safe with you. Yeah. Right.
2: Right right yes. right yeah, you know my fr- i have a friend and she's a child trauma psych- psychologist and when i was teaching her and her family the Dawn method
3: mm-hmm.
2: she she told at this point she said Judy, you should understand you should know and she would you know she studied it she said the amygdala the center part of our brain at four times a second it is screaming out am i safe mm-hmm. from birth until death that's what the amygdala does. It's saying, am I safe? Am I safe? And, and at the same time, your intuitive thinking skills are gathering raw data. Everything you can see, hear, smell, taste, touch, all that data is coming in. Your rational thinking skills is how you tell the amygdala, how you tell yourself you are safe. Mm-hmm. So when we begin to experience dementia and we lose rational thinking and we lose our ability to make sense, out of all of this raw data that we're receiving. How on earth can we ever feel safe again? We need our companions to understand that, to recognize what we, what we are, receiving information we are receiving and what we can no longer do. And our companions help us, they do it for us. And so that's a big part of what I teach with the Don method is how do you help somebody begin to feel safe, even though they're always going to be confused going forward and even more confused. Right. And, and, you know, with my clients, I'd always know my client got it. When she'd say, Judy, where are we going? What are we doing? And I would say, Oh, I thought we'd go for a drive. And then about three seconds later, you know, she's totally forgotten. She's like, Judy, what are we doing? Where are we going? And, I'll, and, you know, and I'll just keep giving the answer. And then the day comes when she says, Judy, where are we going? Oh, it's okay. I know, you know, hmm. she has learned it's okay to be confused when she's with me, because if she asks me, she knows I'll tell her and I won't get upset.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And so she has learned it's okay to be confused, right. right. you know, And and then that same client, I want to teach her it's okay to not be able to do stuff for yourself. I will never get upset. I will never show you concern. I will never be horrified at what you just did or didn't do or failed to do. Everything's always going to be okay, no matter what. Right. You can't figure out how to use a toothbrush anymore. That's okay. You know, like, well, let's look at that thing. How are we going to do this? Do we have the right toothpaste? Let's make sure we got the right toothpaste. Here we go. I think it must go here. Yeah, let's give this a try. Right, right. And if she, And that's when my client says to me, Everything's okay with you. Or when we're together, we have fun. Right. And that's when I know, oh good. Now this poor person who can never again reclaim memory skills or rational thinking skills or regain control of their attention skills. Yes, they get to live a good life and feel secure. Right. We've done it.
1: Yeah. And expand on a little bit. You so we've we in our previous conversation we talked about ways that you can, you know, really turn this into turn this being in the the three second present into a gift you know the appreciation what things uh, they respond to and i know that one of the common things is music but you've also talked about colors and things like that so talk a little bit more about that
2: well think about what we use so so if i am unable to use memory skills so i've lost my remembering self the past is gone to me i can no longer draw on information regarding what's gone before. I've lost the future because I've lost my rational thinking skills. So I can't I can't solve future problems. I can't anticipate, I can't even add, I can't even plan to do something. So I can't initiate an activity for myself. I am fully here in the present, unable to leave the present. And the psychological perception of now, present is three seconds. Okay. All right. There I am, what do I have? I've got my senses. I can read nonverbal communication. I am fully equipped with all of my own emotions. I am fully equipped to read my companion's emotions. And I'm fully equipped to enjoy sensory stimulation. All right, you wanna make life good for both of us? You want to enjoy gifts for both me and my companion? Then be my companion and join me in the present. Sit down beside me. Here's what we get in the present. We get companionship. There's no companionship in the past. There's no companionship in the future. It exists in the present. There's no beauty in the past. There's nostalgia. Feels good sometimes. But beauty lies in the present. It's in listening to music now. It's in smelling something beautiful or delicious now. It's seeing colors. It's in looking at scenery or looking at art or looking at flowers, holding flowers, smelling flowers. You know, all beauty and all companionship, all, actually all the good things in life are in the present. And those of us who've got all of our cognitive skills, we are so focused on being good at memory. And we're so focused on using rational thinking and planning for the future that we forget that all the good parts of life are in the present. And so if you spend time with somebody who's experiencing dementia, just stop. Just stop, slow down, sit down, look them in the eye, meet their gaze, send a message of love and that you're glad to be there. Don't worry about how many minutes or, or an hour or days or anything else. Just give it up. And that's where, that's where all the good things of life are.
1: Wow. Well, well, We're going to have to leave it there. I mean, that's, uh, we'll have to have you back. There's much more to say. but uh, We've run out of time today, but I really want to thank you for being a terrific guest. Um, and once again, if, tell your friends, if you missed my conversation with Judy, they can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com. Search my show. 45 forward to go to my website, roboresource.com and click on the 45 forward tab. Uh, so next week is July 4th weekend. Um, we'll be celebrating our nation's independence. Uh, our show will feature an encore presentation of my interview with Lance Cheney, the president of Brown Brush Company. It's a great story about the spirit of American entrepreneur who shaped his company to take on foreign imports and, and found some ways to land his specialty brushes on the surface of Mars. So folks, be sure to join me again next week. And until then, keep moving forward, 45 forward.
0: Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Rowell for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.